0: The following program is brought to you by Living Ministries Media. There was a certain man who was very angry that a little girl was attending a, what you call, vacation Bible school. And he had threatened the little girl that if she dare attend the program again, that she would have to pay the consequences. Unfortunately, the little girl, though she hadn't gone for a while, several days, when her father was away, she thought if she could just go and listen to the special songs that they were singing and then get back just before he came home, that everything would be all right. So she did that. Unfortunately, when she came back home, her father was home. But not only was he home, he was drunk. And in his drunken condition, he was enraged with his little girl and took a machete and chopped off her fingers and threw her inside the hut and then went out into the night. He came back sometime later, about two or three in the morning, and went to sleep. When he woke up, it was like as if though it had been a nightmare. But fear gripped his heart because he sensed it maybe just maybe. What he thought had happened did happen. So he began to call for that little girl. There was no response. When he found her, she was dead. In his desperation, he waited until nighttime buried the girl, and then fled. That man did everything he could to erase the memory of what he had done. But no matter what he attempted to do, no matter how much he drank, no matter how much he ran, no matter how much he tried to cover it up, his conscience was tortured And for 20 years, that man lived with a tortured heart and conscience. Guilt is a thorough thing, isn't it? It is something that seems to bind itself about you. Many people have guilt. In fact, many people suffer depression and other psychological problems because of guilt. But what is guilt? Well, the dictionary says a feeling of having done something what? Wrong or failed in a what? In obligation. Now, the problem with guilt is this. God has a huge problem And he has a huge problem because of this. The Bible says that man is described in this way. Can the Ethiopian change his skin? What's the answer to that? No. Can the leopard his spots? What's the answer to that? No. Then what else does it say? Then... May ye also do what? Good that are accustomed to do what? Evil. All of us are sinners. Is that true? And since all of us are sinners, God has a problem. God wants to finish with sin, but we are sinners by nature. And the problem that God has is this. How can He separate sin from the sinner, destroy the sin without destroying the sinner? I think you and I recognize that's a big problem. Because sin is like it is part of our being. It is part of us. So, God then has to provide a way by which... He can separate sin from the sinner, save the sinner, and destroy the sin. That's a huge problem. Is that true? Yeah, it's a huge problem. The Bible says that sin actually separates. Notice what it says: "But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and you your sins have hid his face, so that." Uh, He will not hear you. Sin separates. Is that true? Let me demonstrate it this way. How many of you, are like myself, when I was young, mother was always buying some sweet something or another. It was either a cake or cookies or chocolate or something. The only problem with that was that she had six boys. How many? Six boys. And she was always trying to hide the stuff so that we would not devour it before it was time. Now, I remember one time that she had uh, bought a cake put it in the refrigerator and threatened all of us. Mother had a way of doing that, you understand. And she had a broomstick. what? A broomstick. And she knew how to use that broomstick well. And she said, boys, don't touch it. It's the worst thing she could have said to us. Because it was in our mind now. You understand? And I remember thinking to myself, when she was out of sight, I was watching for the moment, and when she was out of sight, I opened the refrigerator and I thought, I will, I will put my finger behind the cake and swipe behind so that when she opens the door, she'll see the cake still intact. You understand? Any of you have ever tried that before? And so, there I was about to do my swipe. You understand? All of a sudden, I heard some footsteps. Now, let me ask you a question. Where do you think I wanted Mother to be at that moment? Close to me or far away? Far away. Sin separates. Now, because sin separates and because God made us, the desire that God has is for us to be with Him. It is His giving His Son on the cross that demonstrates the deep desire that God has to be with us again. But listen. He has this problem. In the book of Revelation, we begin through the study tonight, as to how God seeks to solve the problem. You remember last night we started in Revelation chapter 7, and we talked about the, those who had washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. How many of you remember that? Do you remember that? Okay. Now, tonight I want you to know something interesting. In the book of Revelation chapter 1, verse 12 to 15, John is at the, on the Isle of Patmos, and as he is there, he has a vision. And when he ha- sees and looks back, he says that he sees one who is clothed with a white garment down to the paps. He has in his hand seven stars, and he's walking within the midst of candlesticks. Now, this figurative language obviously has meaning. But where do we find the meaning? First of all, we discover that the candlesticks, the Scripture says, represents the churches. It also said that the stars represent the angels or the messengers to those churches. That's in the same chapter, chapter 1. But the analogy of the candles, where does it come from? And I should tell you that it is not found any other place in the rest of the book of Revelation. It is only mentioned, the seven candlesticks, it is only mentioned right there in this first chapter. So, where does this come from? Revelation, and the majority of the New Testament, actually is filled with references or quotes from the Old Testament. And so, in order to understand this, this figurative language, we go to the Old Testament to find out where are these candlesticks. And so, here's where we, what we find. In the book of Exodus, chapter 25, from verse 8, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Exodus chapter 25, verse 8. Notice it said, And let them make me a what? A sanctuary that I may what? Dwell among them. Obviously, that is God's desire. So, not only are they told to make a sanctuary for that purpose, but also instruction is given concerning that sanctuary. And one of the things that they were told was, Thou shalt make the seven, what? Lambs thereof. Now, you remember the book of Revelation. He is walking within seven candlesticks or seven lampstands, okay? We find now those lampstands are actually in an old tabernacle back in the Old Testament. Notice it says then, And they shall light the lamps thereof that they may give light over against it. So, We are thrown back into the Old Testament typology where we begin to discover that there is a tabernacle and inside the tabernacle there is the seven candlestick or lampstand, all right? Now, what else is is there in this tabernacle? Well, this tabernacle actually has a court outside and it has a tent And inside the tent, there are two compartments. How many? Two. There's the altar of sacrifice as well. And right here, there's a certain uh, laver where the priest actually washed before they participated in the service of the sanctuary. Now, let's take a bird's eye view in the inside compartments of this tabernacle. If you notice, then, again, here's the entrance to the place, here's the altar of sacrifice the labor where they washed. And then inside the tabernacle, there were two compartments, as I said, or two apartments. And inside, on the right side, you'll see what is called the table of showbread. On the left side, you'll see the lampstand. Right up in front, you will see the altar of incense. And then as the curtain opens up, you will see then that there is something inside the next apartment, which is called the most holy place so here you the bread the lampstand the incense and there you have only one article of furniture inside the most holy place so one place is called the holy place which is the one where the lamps and the showbread is and the other one is called the most holy place so can you say that with me the first apartment is the holy place and the second apartment is the most holy place, okay? And it also has the court. So there's actually three places. How many places? Three places. The court, the holy place, and the most holy place. Now, this uh, ark was specially made and something was put on the outside and something was put on the inside. But the most important article that was in there was actually the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were inside the ark showing that the, the commandments are the foundation for the government of God. I think you recognize that no government could succeed without laws. Is that true? Yes? I don't care where you live, whatever part of the planet you may live on. I know that when I travel and I've been so far to 60, 62 countries... Every country has its laws and every country has its police or its military to make sure that the laws are obeyed. Now, the difference between between governments and God is that God does not have a police state in order for you to obey. God has created you with the ability to desire to obey. So rather than forcing us, he simply wants us to do it out of love. And that's why Jesus said, if you love me, do what? Keep my commandments. So it's a love relationship, but God has a problem. What's the problem? The human race has fallen so far away from God's image that in reality he doesn't have the ability anymore to love as God wanted man to love. The result is that there is sin that has taken the place of love. But in order for man to be saved, man must be restored back again to love. What do you say? Does that make sense to you? Now, so how does God then take care of the problem of getting rid of the sin from the sinner, destroying the sin without destroying the sinner? This tabernacle that we're talking about served that purpose. When a person sinned and he felt bad about what he did, he could receive an atonement for his sin. He would bring an animal, a sacrifice, and he would bring that animal into the tabernacle. Now, if you notice here, you notice there's a man here kneeling with a lamb. Can you see that? All right. And so here's what happened. Let's suppose that this particular man this day had gotten angry with his wife and and beat her. And after that, he recognizes that he shouldn't have done that. He apologizes to his wife, but that's not sufficient. Because all of us are properties of whom? Of God. And so not only do we need to make right with the person that we wrong, but we also need to be, make right with whom? With God. So, he apologizes to his wife, asks forgiveness, but now he has to do something. He has to take that lamb. Now, suppose you happen to live way out here, okay? And your neighbors see you with your lamb walking. What do you think they're thinking? I wonder what he did this time. you understand what I'm saying? Sometimes neighbors are not very helpful, are they? But if the man wanted to be right with God, it mattered not what people thought. What mattered was that he could be at one with God. And that since God provided a way to get rid of the sin... He then would take advantage of that provision and bring the sacrifice that God had made provisions for. So the man comes there. Now, here's what had to take place. The sin was on the sinner. Now, he avails himself of the provision God makes by bringing the innocent victim to the tabernacle. He is now to take his hand and lay his hand and the weight of his body on that lamb. He is to confess his sin over that lamb. And by faith, he is transferring his sin from himself to the lamb. Okay? But it doesn't stop there. After he does the transferring of his sin to the lamb, now something has to happen. According to the Scriptures, the Bible says that the person has to confess this specific sin. Which one? Notice what it says. And it shall be when he shall be guilty. Notice the word. What's the word there? Guilty. See? In one of these things that he shall confess that he has sinned in that thing. I think sometimes it's difficult for us to admit that we've done wrong. Sometimes it's pride. Sometimes it's fear. Whatever the case may be, sometimes we say something like this, if I've offended you. you understand what I'm saying? Rather than saying, I offended you, we say, I've heard people in the church say, if I've offended anybody, please forgive me. Well, sometimes we do offend without knowing. But most of the time, we're saying that because we don't want to Be direct and say, I did such and such, and I'm sorry. You know what I'm saying. How many of you have done that? Any of you? Skirted the reality of what you did and tried to kind of what we call sugar-coated it? I remember one time, my, uh, my wife was always taught as a little girl that she should not hurt anyone. And so she knew very well that she shouldn't. But she had a cousin who had the the desire to always pinch. You know what I'm saying? But she would pinch hard enough to, to pull blood. So this particular time, her cousin came and pinched my wife. And my wife pinched her back. But her cousin discovered that my my wife's pinch was worse than hers. And so she went crying to my mother-in-law to complain that Carol had pinched her. And so my wife was always also taught never to tatty Any of you have been taught that? All right. So then mother came to my wife and said, Carol Annie, did you pinch your cousin? And my wife, because she didn't want a tally-tale, she simply said, Do unto others as they do unto you. (laughs) But when we're dealing with the seriousness of sin, what does God want us to do? To skirt it? You see, the Bible says this. Whosoever covereth his sin shall not prosper. But whosoever confesses and forsaketh shall have mercy. If we want forgiveness, then God says that we must confess that specific thing. Now listen, the Bible then says that the wages of sin is what? Is death. And the reason for this is this. What is taking place is that God has made provisions for mankind to get rid of his sin. But somebody has to pay for that sin. And, And if man were to pay for his own sin, man would die. eternally. God made the provision then that in the place of man dying, His Son would die. And that Lamb simply represented the Lamb of God. When John saw Jesus, he said, Behold the the what? The Lamb of God that does what? That takes away. Now, I want you to understand something. The word takes away in the Greek actually means bears, takes the, the weight of it. That's what it means. That is why when the sinner was confessing his sin, he was to put his weight on the lamb, representing that by faith he is transferring his sin from himself and putting it on what? On the innocent victim. But then the innocent victim died. The man himself has to take the life of the innocent victim. Showing then that it's my sin and your sin that have brought death to the Son of God. Now, once the sinner has done that, then the priest takes the blood from the lamb. The sin has been transferred from the sinner to the lamb. Now the blood is carried with the sin on the priest. So the priest now is taking the blood and he actually takes the blood into the holy place and sprinkles it before the veil. Where? Before the veil. There's that veil there. It actually is coming across and he sprinkles it before the veil. The sinner then has received his forgiveness. He has done what God has said. By faith he has acted out and he has done precisely what God asked him to do. He has confessed his sin. He has transferred his sin. The sin now is transferred from him to the Lamb, from the Lamb to the priest, from the priest inside the holy place. Now this is happening every day of the year except for one day. And that particular day... The Bible calls it the Day of Atonement. What is it? The Day of Atonement. Now, when we are talking about the Day of Atonement, if you look at the word, it means at one meant. In other words, a reunion, a reuniting, a reconnecting between God and man as the sins are removed. So, This took place every day, every day, until the Day of Atonement. Some of you have heard of the word Yom Kippur. Any of you have heard of that word? Okay. It is that that particular time then that all the Jews were to gather together. And the Bible says then that the the priests would sound the trumpets. And when those trumpets were sound, everybody in Israel knew that this was a very, very serious moment. It was a time to cleanse the sanctuary, to remove the sins that had been accumulating day after day, day after day in the sanctuary. Because in reality, friends, let me ask you the question. Is God the one responsible for you sinning or me sinning What's the answer? No. God is not responsible, but God is willing to take the responsibility simply because you cannot out of mercy then, God has provided His own lamb. As He said to Abraham, I want you to offer a sacrifice. And Abraham didn't have a lamb. And when Isaac said, Where's the sacrifice? Abraham said, The Lord Himself will provide Himself a lamb or a sacrifice. And so, by faith then, every time that somebody sacrificed an animal. They were looking into the future until the day that sins would be atoned for by the slaying of the Lamb of God. The trumpets would sound. The Israelites would gather around the tabernacle. There was nothing more important than that day. No amount of business, no amount of loss of money was as important as making sure that they were right with God. Because Jesus Himself said this, remember this, Jesus said, What shall it profit a man if he shall gain how much? The whole world, and loses what? His own soul. My friends, listen. Sometimes in our lives, we put other things ahead of our salvation. Is that true? Until, until, we are close to death. When we're very close to death, then all of a sudden, all of the things that we have held dear in life pass into insignificance because we recognize that we're being ushered out of the world. I remember I was in Hungary and a pastor that I was working with said, I have a person who's in the hospital and uh, he's dying of cancer. I need to visit him. I said, I'd like to go with you. He said, would you? I said, sure. So there in Debrecen, Hungary, I went to the hospital. We went to several buildings and finally climbed up the steps about the fourth story. And when we got into the cancer ward, it was a very, very Uh, sad situation. There are a lot of people in in that room. Uh, He didn't have a private room. I don't know how many beds, about eight beds in that room. Everybody there was dying of cancer. very, very horrible situation. When I got by his bed, the man was just skin and bones. I'm literally speaking. You could see the shape of his skull. You could see the skeleton fingers. You could see the skeleton arms. His legs... You can just see the skeleton. There was nothing but skin hanging on. And as I approached him, he began to cry. He spoke some English. So I said, Brother, why are you crying? And he said, God won't forgive the sins of my youth. There's nothing worse than having guilt At the moment when you feel like you're passing on from this world, what do you say? God wanted to get rid of that. And through this process, He makes the provision. At the day of atonement, the priest would choose two goats. How many? Two goats. One goat was the scapegoat, and the other goat was the Lord's goat. Lots would be ca- cast, and the one chosen as the Lord's goat, the priest then, the high priest's time, would actually come and lay his hand on that goat at a specific time, and then slay the goat. Then what? Slay the goat. Now you may ask, why a goat? when the Bible says the Lamb represents Jesus. Because the Bible reveals that Jesus, when He takes on your sins, becomes sin for us. Therefore, He was being treated as if though He was responsible for the sin. So rather than a Lamb, there's a goat. The goat then is slain after the priest confesses all the known sins that have been brought into the sanctuary day after day after day. And after the goat is slain, the high priest actually goes into the most holy place and with the blood of the goat, he actually sprinkles before the Ark of the Covenant or before the very presence of God called the Holy Shekinah The very glory of God was between those two golden angels. And the blood was sprinkled before that, showing that an atonement was made for that which reveals what sin is. The Bible says that the transgression of the law is sin. So now, the high priest sprinkles the blood, showing that... Death has come to the innocent victim as payment for the sins of God's people. Everyone outside is prostrated. Everyone outside is searching their hearts. While the priest is inside, there is searching to make sure that there's not one unconfessed sin that has not gone into the sanctuary. The reason for that is that once the sanctuary service was finished, The the sins that had been brought into the sanctuary were now being brought out of the sanctuary. And the priest actually put his hand on the life goat and then a just person would take that life goat outside of the camp and let it go out there to die. Now, the whole population of Israel is in jubilee. They rejoice and celebrate. Why? Because their sins have been what? Have been removed. Their guilt is gone. They're free. You can understand why it was then that to the Jew the sanctuary service was essential. And you can understand why it is that today Jews are saving up their jewels and their gold. Did you know that? How many of you knew that? You did not know that. Matt, you're the only one in the audience that knows that. Well, good for you. But I happen to have Jewish relatives. And Jews are actually saving up gold and jewels and all that. So when the call comes to re- built the tabernacle, they could send it, like in the days of Moses, people sent their jewels to build the tabernacle. Yes, the Jews are still waiting for the day when they can reestablish this process so they can once more feel certain that their sins are removed and they're at one with God. The only problem is this, that this program was pointing to the day when Jesus would come. And so, the question is, when did the earthly sanctuary services come to an end? And the Bible reveals then that when Jesus actually came and died at the cross, that His death brought an end to that sanctuary service. In fact, the Scripture says in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, that He would cause the sacrifices... And oblations to cease. He would do what? He would cause what? The sacrifices and oblations to cease. Then it's it's it says in Colossians as well, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. And so, at the cross of Christ, when Jesus died, that very moment that Jesus cried out, uh, "Into your hands I commit my spirit." The Bible says that the curtain of that temple, which was about 70 feet high, was actually torn from top to bottom. Therefore, that earthly system came to an end. Why? Because your Savior, my Savior, came and took our place. What do you say? When we confess our sins, and we will confess our sins now the same process still continues. In other words, the Scripture reveals that this earthly sanctuary simply was a copy of the Heavenly One. Notice that in the book of Daniel, Daniel was wondering whether or not the sanctuary would be restored again. And God said it would until the Messiah would come. But once Jesus came, then Jesus ascended to heaven and the Bible says that Jesus then became that priest. Notice what it says. My little children, these things I write unto you, that you what? That you sin not. Now, is that, a, is that difficult? Yes or no? Hmm? Is it difficult? Let me ask you a question. How many of you can th- think you can live one day without sinning? Any of you? They're all smiling. How many of you think you can live one hour without sinning? How many of you think you can live one minute without sinning? One brave hand. Let me say this to you, friends. Do you remember that we, we uh, had a study grace. What is grace? It is the power of God to do what for us? To keep us from what? From sinning. In other words, my friends, I'm not saying that, that uh, how many of you can be perfect in one day. That's not what I'm asking. How many of you, by God's grace, can keep from doing something wrong in one day? Is that possible? Can I see your hands? Is that possible? Absolutely so. See? It is possible. That's why Jesus came. Not just to forgive you, but to cleanse you from sin. What do you say? And so, when the Lord then says that He is our advocate, notice it says, what does the word advocate mean? It's another word for lawyer. Notice it says then, I would that you sin not. And if anyone man sin." What do we have? We have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ the righteous. The very fact that the word advocate is used in the Bible means that we are in a legal process. In other words, there is an accuser that says that you're bad enough to not go to heaven. Okay? But there's an attorney that says it is true they're bad enough not to go to heaven, but I gave my life so they can go to heaven. Good news, what do you say? But listen, it also says, for there is one God, and what else? One mediator between God and man. Who is that? Now, please understand that in the book of John, it is not saying, my little children, I wish you had not sinned. Pass. But it says, my little children, I would that you sin not. Which means then that this is not a process as back 2,000 years ago. This is a current process. Will you say amen to that? Does that make sense? And so, then it says in the Scriptures, how is this possible? Where is Jesus doing this mediation? Well, the Bible says that Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands. Who made the first temple? But it says, which are the figures of the true, but notice it says, but into what? Heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God, for who? So when Jesus went to heaven, what did he go there for? To be a mediator. To be a what? A mediator. I don't know if you can appreciate that, but Listen. How many of you have been charged with something and you had to go to court? Any of you? How many of you had a good lawyer when you went to court? How many of you have gone to court and your lawyer didn't win your case? Any of you? One person. How many of you have gone to court and you've won your case? Can I see your hands? One person. Let me ask you a question. How good does it feel when you are acquitted, good or bad. Yeah, when somebody defends your case and they win, you feel good about it. Now, the good thing about what we're talking about is this. You and I have no justification for sinning. That is why God provides a way of escape for us. Since we by nature are sinners, and God wants to save you, God has provided that through His dear Son you may transfer your sins to Him so that He pays the penalty. You go free. Good news? What do you say? Well, listen. Jesus then goes to heaven to appear for us. According to the Scriptures then, there are two sanctuaries. There's one down here on the earth, and the Bible says that the one here down, that was here on the earth, was only a copy of the true one. Which one? The true one. Okay? Then, the question that we have to raise is this. Since the earthly one was a copy of the true one up in heaven, if the earthly one had to be cleansed, then does the heavenly one need cleansing as well? But you may say, now wait a minute. There's no, nothing that contaminates in heaven. But you have to remember this, that if Jesus has gone to heaven to take your sin and my sin, then by this analogy, we must understand then that Jesus is carrying with him, like the priest carried the blood into the sanctuary, Jesus is carrying with him that which you have given to him. Whatever it was, whatever your sin was, or whatever your sin is. And I think you and I understand, and we're grateful, that there's such a thing as confession. What do you say? How many of you are grateful that there's something called confession? Can I see your hands? How many are grateful that when you confess your sin, that you have the assurance that God says, if we confess our sins... He is what? Faithful and what? And just to do what? Forgive us our sins and to what? And to cleanse us from how much? All unrighteousness. God is still in that process. That promise is not past, but that promise is what? Current. What do you say? So, if I made a mistake today, I can have the assurance that I can confess my sin and that my Lord is willing to take the responsibility for that sin. What are you saying? Good news. Great news. So, the Scripture then reveals then that if the earthly sanctuary, the pattern needed cleansing, then the heavenly also needed cleansing. Here's how I know that. Notice it says, And almost all things are by the law perched with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there's how much? No removing of sin. That's what the word remission means. No cancelling out. Then it says, it was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be what? Purify with these. So it's necessary that the earthly one was purified with the blood of bulls and goats, etc. But then it says, but the heavenly things themselves with what? Better sacrifices than these. And what was that better sacrifice? It was the blood of Jesus Christ. What do you say? It was the blood of his son. In fact, the Bible says in First Peter chapter one verse eighteen, it says, "You would not redeem from your corruptible, uh, pardon me, from your vain conversation with corruptible things such as silver or gold." And verse nineteen says, "But with the precious blood of Christ, of as of a lamb without spot and without blemish." In other words, God tells us that just as the earthly needed cleansing, so the heavenly needs to be purified. It is hard for us to imagine that our sin is actually being dealt with in the heavens. There are people who doubt that, and that's all right. But it simply tells us how great God is. What do you say? If he was willing to accept the blood in the earthly tabernacle right in his presence because the Holy Shekinah was between those two angels. If he was willing to accept the blood right there in his presence, certainly he is willing to accept the blood of his Son in the heavens. Will you say amen to that? Christ said, tells us that there's a time of judgment that's coming. In other words, friends, According to the Scriptures, there's a process going on of cleansing. I know that because the Bible says that God has appointed a day in which He will judge the world. He also tells us that the temple of God was what? Open where? In heaven. And what was seen there in His temple? What was seen? The ark of His what? It is interesting then at first, in Revelation chapter 1, he is walking within the what? The candlesticks. Where were the candlesticks? In the most holy place or in the holy place? In the holy place. Where was the ark? In the most holy place or in the holy place? In the most holy place. So there's a shift. Does he what? There's a shift. And this shift is, is important because God is trying to bring to end this thing called sin. And I thank God that he's going to bring it to an end. Listen, friends. It is sin that causes pain. It is sin that causes separation. It is sin that causes a husband to beat up a wife. It is sin that causes a man to abandon his family. It is sin that causes somebody to murder somebody. It is sin that causes a man who's 65 years old to adopt a 7-year-old girl, rape her, and then throw her in the ditch and bury her alive. My friends, it is sin that, that brings the madness of this world that we're living in. It is sin that creates all the heartache that's around this world. It is sin that is bringing earth to its final ruin. God is anxious to end the sin problem. But he has a problem. He cannot end the sin problem unless you and I decide to cooperate with him. What do you say? Unless you and I become serious about the sin issue. Sometimes we don't think it's a bad thing. I think you will agree that you would say, well, I don't see what's so bad with what I did. Have you ever said that? When I say, I don't see, you know what I'm saying? I'm blind. But God must bring an end to sin. But the only way that He'll bring an end to sin is when we see what sin is doing to others and to the heart of God. When we understand the cost is when we'll decide that we want to quit sinning. Let me illustrate it this way. There's a man who got up late Had to go to work. When he saw his alarm clock, he knew, but he only had a few minutes to throw on his clothing and go and sip some coffee and rush out into the garage, get into his car, push the button for the door to open and get out of there and take off. So he threw on his clothing, got his coffee, sipped it as he was running out to the garage, jumped into his car, pressed the button, the door opened, he turned on the car, began to back up only to discover that he there was something that there was left in the way. So upset that he had run over something, he jumped out of the car, went outside behind the car to find out what in the world was in the way, only to discover that it was his little two-year-old toddler he had run over. Now well, let me ask you a question. Do you think that that man would ever again back up without first checking to see what's there? Why, why would he not back up again? Because he, he experienced the pain of the cost that his mistake brought to his life. And friends, when we understand the cost, are you hearing me? When we understand the cost, that it has cost heaven, to save you, When we can come heart to heart with our Father over this whole sin issue, when we see sin in His true light, and when we realize that God wants to separate us from sin, and we would say, Oh God, help me. Open my eyes. Put in my heart a desire, a longing to be free from this. When we cooperate with God, then God can help us to get rid of the sin. And by getting rid of the sin, we get rid of the guilt. What do you say? God has made the provision. Listen. Jesus says, Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me. When Jesus comes, every case would have been settled. Your case and my case would have been settled. But listen. Now, you and I have the opportunity to send our sins ahead of time. Now we can send our sins at a time. Now Jesus is willing to take your sins. And the wonderful thing is that when I confess my sin, God does not look at me as how wretched I am, but looks at His Son as to how perfect He is. When we accept Jesus as our Savior, our mediator, when we're willing to be honest with Him and send our sins to Him, when we're willing to confess our sins and forsake them, then Jesus is glad to represent us in heaven. So when the devil says he did that, Jesus can say, yes, he did do that. But my Father, my blood, I shed my blood for him. And I pray and I ask, oh, Father, that you allow him to be where I am. All the longing of your Savior to have you in the kingdom. But we must cooperate with him What do you say. We must be willing to cooperate with him. And finally, The Bible will say, He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. He that is holy, let him be holy still. Friends, we have the privilege now to get rid of our guilt. The laundromat of heaven is about to close. We have the opportunity to bring our clothing there so that God could Clean it and in the place of the filthy rags, put on us a clean robe of righteousness. You and I can have that privilege if we so choose. That man that I told you about to begin with, for 20 years, wandered from place to place, hiding, hoping that he would never be discovered. From one drunk and bowed to another. He could not find peace until one day he happened to be walking by a church and he heard the same little song that his daughter was singing when she came home and in his his anger slew her. When he heard the song, he couldn't help but come into the church. And he sat in the audience. Nobody knew who this man was. Nobody knew the troubled conscience and the tortured soul that he was carrying all of these years. And then the minister presented the subject, How to get rid of the guilt. How to wash your sins in the blood of the Lamb. And when that man made the appeal, that pastor made the appeal, is there someone in here tonight who needs to commit himself to Christ, who's carrying a load of guilt but needs to have it cleansed, and tonight you desire to do so, will you come forward? I'll tell you, that man rose up weeping. He came forward. And asked to be baptized. I remember another man who likewise said the same thing. He didn't believe in God. He married a young lady who was a believer. And he decided that he would do everything possible to break her faith. Instead, he broke her heart. And she died. And when she died, that man lost all hope of everything. He loved her. He didn't want to kill her. He just simply was trying to break her, what he thought was his her silly and stupid idea about believing in God. But when she died, something also died with him. He was a millionaire by that time. And now he lost all interest in all those things. And he he went out to the world. He got sick. He lost his money. He lost his health. He was broken in health. He was Crippled in one of his legs. And in his state, he came back with the hope that he would just die. But he was in misery. And again, it was a meeting just like this. And it was an appeal for people to wash their sins and be able to start anew. And that man, that old man responded and asked the pastor if he could get baptized. And then he told a story how he had broken his wife's heart. And in his chest, he carried a little locket. And as he opened it up, he said, look at her. I never thought I would see her again, he said. I never thought I would see her again. But he said, now I believe I'll see her again. Oh, Pastor, I'm so thankful that Jesus has died for me and that He's willing to wash my sins away. Can I get baptized? Well, the day the baptism came that old man began to walk with his crippled leg down into the waters. It was a lake. And two men came to try to help him along. And he said, gentlemen, don't, don't. He said, i walked on these legs now for 60 years for the devil. I'm going to walk on them for the Lord. And so he walked into the waters. And uh, as he stood there, just as as, uh, our sisters stood there tonight, minister raised his hand and put him in the water. And when that man came up out of the water, he was so, so free. He bounded up and he said, now I'll see her again. Praise God, my guilt is gone. I mean, there's some, some excitement when you know that that burden has moved from you. What do you say? And listen, on the shore, there was a family. It's a 13-year-old girl standing there with her father and mother. And as that young lady saw that old man being baptized, she turned to her father and said, Dad, I've I've been wanting to be baptized for a long time now. And you keep on telling me to wait for you, to wait for you, wait for you. I can't wait any longer. And so just as she was, she walked away from her father's side and walked into the water to be baptized. Well, that father began to tremble. As he saw his little girl go into the waters, he realized that all this time he had been holding back that poor little child. And he took off his jacket and also walked into the water. And that day there were three new souls born into the kingdom. What do you say? Our friends, listen. God has provided a way for you and for me to get rid of our guilt, to get rid of our sins, to be one with Christ. And so I'm going to appeal to you tonight. Last night we made an appeal. For those of you who in your hearts felt the tug of the Spirit of God tugging away at you and asking you to give your heart to Him. Jesus says, Oh, my Son, give me your heart. I wonder here tonight, I'm sure there's one or two or three or more who need to be washed and cleansed, who recognize the importance tonight of being baptized. Not that you'll be baptized tonight, but that you want to be washed. You want to get rid of that guilt. You want to be one with Christ. Is there one who would raise their hand tonight and say, Yes, Lord, I'm hearing your voice. And by your grace, I want to be baptized. I want to be among those who can enter into the watery graves of baptism and be baptized. Is there one tonight who will lift up their hand? I see a little child raising their hand. Praise God for a little child. But there are others of you who in your hearts feel like you want to, you need to. Maybe some of you need to be re-baptized. And tonight you'd like to lift up your hand, would you? Would you do it just now? And there were those who already responded, who already said you wanted to be baptized. Would you raise your hand tonight? Amen. There's one, and there's two, and there's three. Praise the Lord. But there are more here tonight. Would you raise your hand tonight? Would you say yes to the Lord? Would you raise your hand tonight? Say yes. Amen. Amen. God bless you, ladies. Praise the Lord. But are there others here? Amen. God bless you. Are there still others? I wonder, would you come up here so we can have prayer together? Those of you who are lifted up your hands, I'd like to pray with you, for you. Girls, would you come? Would you come, mother? Would you come? brother would you come come forward pastor would you receive these while I'm still making the appeal church would you say amen but there are others I know how difficult it is to lift up that hand but once you do it you'll find the peace that God wants to give you Some of you may be waiting for your friend, your spouse, your wife, your husband. But salvation is an individual thing. In the kingdom, you will not be able to say to Jesus, Well, I didn't do it because I was waiting for my wife. Well, I didn't do it because I was waiting for my husband. Remember, He is your Savior. He is the one that died for you. And He is the one that you belong to. What do you say? So is there one more who should raise up their hand and say, I want to be rebaptized or be baptized? Not that you'll be baptized tonight, but that you want to plan and prepare for that wonderful day. Is there one more that would lift up your hand? I believe there's one more. Would you say yes to the Lord? I won't ask you to come up, but I will only ask you to raise your hand where you are. We'll pray for you that God will strengthen you, that he'll help you to finalize that decision. But all you need is to stretch that hand of faith to God. Would you lift up your hand? Is there one more? Is there one more? Amen. Praise the Lord. I'm going to ask you folk if you will kneel with me in front here and I'm going to pray with you and I just rejoice with the decision that you've made to the Lord tonight. Why don't you join us over here. Family, would you join us in prayer also? Would you kneel with us? Oh, Heavenly Father, As you have promised, us joy in heaven over one sinner that repented. More over than ninety and nine who need no repentance. How grateful we are that you provided a way of cleansing, a way to get rid of our guilt, the burdens that we carry, the troubled hearts and troubled consciences. We thank you, Father, that you have said through Jesus, him that cometh to me, I will know why he's cast out. Oh, God, I thank you tonight for these who have come. I thank you for these young ladies, Yvonne and Sarah. Lord, how grateful we are for the victors that you've given them. And I thank you for this young man, the mother and her son and the other sister also. Who have come this evening to say yes to you. But, oh, Father, I know that there are others in the audience who likewise are struggling. And they know that they need to make the decision. I pray for them. They've lifted up their hands. They don't have the strength to come forward. But, Lord, you promise that you'll strengthen them. And so, bless these here. And grant the Lord, that when that moment comes, that their joy may be full in thee. Keep them, I pray. And thank you for hearing us in Jesus' name. Amen.